0: In our consideration of continuity and discontinuity, the things that are brought forward from the Old Testament and the things that are not brought forward or that even are begun anew in the New Testament, one of the areas that this impacts, of course, is the whole idea of who are the people of God. Ephesians chapter 2 deals very thoroughly with teaching us who it is or who they are that are the people of God. Of God, Obviously, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament Scriptures, there is one people of God. The Apostle Paul is going to tell us if that has changed now as we approach the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin looking at verse 11, where the Apostle says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. That's a mouthful already, just in that uh, statement. Paul is writing to Ephesian Gentile Christians, and he is reminding them that they were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Who were the circumcision? The Jews. And you notice Paul kind of slips in in passing here, by the way, circumcision is something that was performed by human hands. Circumcision was done by man. God didn't do the circumcising. He commanded it, but I think he's emphasizing that for those who hold so tightly to the view that circumcision has some super spiritual signification, he's saying this is a work done by men, I want you to realize. Now as we read other texts in the New Testament where Paul is dealing with the Jews and how they're trying to bring Christians under the law... He says on several occasions, circumcision means nothing anymore. Remember, it was a sign given to Abraham, a sign of the promise. The Jews took it and made it the sign of acceptance to God, which was never intended to be the case. Paul here is making the the distinction. There are those who call themselves the circumcised. Then there are the uncircumcision. By the way, that circumcision is just done with human hands. It's a work, a human work. So he kind of throws that in, but then he brings us back to his point. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, separate from Messiah, alienated or estranged from the commonwealth of Israel. He's basically saying there were two categories of people. There were the circumcised, the Jews, and there were the Gentiles. Everybody in the world at that point could be divided into one of those two categories. And he's saying, you Gentiles, you Ephesians, were separated alienated from the people of Israel, from the Jews. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why would he bring that up? He goes on to explain, And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the plight of the Gentile prior to the coming of Christ. They were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were atheists. He's not speaking about their theistic beliefs. He was saying they were literally apart from without God in the world. No hope. The giving of the law was approximately what year? In very round numbers. That's that's not quite as round as I was looking for, sir. 1500 BC, approximately, give or take. For 1500 years, it was a small nation in the Palestinian area that had the covenants of promise, that had hope in the world, had God. Think of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that lived in the Greek lands, in the eastern lands, Babylon. Persia, into India, and the Far East, as we would see it. The multitudes of Egyptians who were alive during that time. All Gentiles, all separated from the hope of God. All perished without knowledge of the coming Redeemer. To be a Gentile during the old covenant times meant almost for certain that you would perish without hope. To be a Gentile in that time was to be separated from all these things. Now, not all the Jews believed in the coming Redeemer, but at least they were in the community where the promises were given. The Gentiles were not. Verse 13, But now, in Christ, in Messiah, Jesus, You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You Gentiles who at that time were outside of, without God, you were far away from God, have been brought in close by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, he who made both groups into one. Prior to Christ's coming, there were the two groups. After Christ's coming, there's one group. Do you see what he's saying there? He made the two Jews and Gentiles, which were distinct and separate, now he's brought them into one. One people of God. One body. One faith, one hope, one spirit, one baptism. All of those things in chapter 4. Do you see the significance of that? He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. In his flesh, at the crucifixion, Jesus broke down that barrier. There was a wall between Jews and Gentiles like the Berlin Wall. And very few crossed over from one to the other. Just like that came down in our day, in Jesus' day, the wall that separated Jews and Gentiles came down. How? What was that wall? What was that barrier? Which is the law, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. As long as the Old Covenant existed, as long as it was in force, there was a necessary separation from the Jews and the Gentiles. What was the requirement according to the law? How were the Jews to handle the Gentiles? They were to be a holy nation. Holy means separate. When they went into the foreign lands, Did they go preaching the gospel? Over and over and over again, the command is leave no one alive. Man, woman, child, beast, slay them all. Israel, on many occasions, was God's tool of judgment because of the sin of the Gentiles. He nowhere rebukes them for not going in and calling them to repentance. They were to be separate. God told them over and over again, if you go in here and if you leave them alive, you are going to intermarry. Your sons are going to intermarry with their daughters. And what's going to happen when you do that? You'll lose the holiness, the separation and pretty soon you will find that you are worshiping their gods, and you will assimilate their worship, their religion, into yours. And as God says to them repeatedly, and when you do that, if and when you follow them into idolatry, then my judgment will come upon you. As long as that old covenant was in force, the Jews... And the Gentiles could not come together. The only hope for the Gentile was to become a proselyte, to become part of Israel. And then once they did that, they were under the terms of the Old Covenant. And as I hope I have persuaded, being under the terms of the Old Covenant is not a good thing. There's nothing wrong with the covenant. Paul is very quick to add in Romans, the problem is with the people. And if the Jews couldn't keep the terms of the covenant, we know the Gentile proselytes were not going to keep the terms of the covenant. So once they became part of the community, they were now under the blessings or the curses based upon their keeping of that covenant. Now some of them did proselytize, and some of them did accept and believe the promise of the Redeemer and had faith. But remember the point I've made throughout this. The promise of the coming Redeemer, the blessing, the the forgiveness of sins that was coming, transcended the covenant. Because the covenant was set up as a structure of law. And here the apostle says Christ in his flesh destroyed that barrier. He came, he fulfilled the law, he kept the law perfectly, he took upon himself the curse. And then, as Paul says, the law is abolished. That covenant is obsolete. It's over. It has been fulfilled. It's accomplished its purpose. It showed to the people of Israel and to us in reading about it, sin. Remember we talked about that weeks ago. The purpose for which God gave the law was to teach the Israelites they were sinners. They could not obey God. And the message they should have received from that is, Lord, your law is good. Your covenant is perfect. You are righteous in requiring these things. But please provide another way. Because I can't keep it. And again, what they did was they said, We are keeping it. We have circumcision. We have the promises. We are children of Abraham. We are going to live forever. Jesus comes along and says, And you don't get it. You haven't kept the law. You're hypocrites. Jesus fulfilled the law, and that barrier was broken down. Now there's nothing that stands in the way of Jews and Gentiles coming together. As he says at the end of that verse, In himself he might make the two into one new man. Something changed at the cross. Again, there's just one people of God, those who are in Christ. As he says elsewhere, being a Jew means nothing. Being a Gentile means nothing. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. All that matters is being in Christ, being a new creature. Because there's one new man, one body, no longer two. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles. Now there are those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. And that's it. Once you come into Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. And you lose any prior identity, if you will, as far as Jew and Gentile distinctions. He brought them both into one new man, establishing peace. And again, primarily he's talking about peace between Jew and Gentile because the Jews didn't like this message. It meant that they were no longer the exclusive chosen people of God. It meant that the law no longer was the covenant. It meant that the Gentiles were just as likely to be included as the people of God as the Jews were. The unclean, the uncircumcised, had the same hope that the circumcised and the, quote, unquote, clean had. And the Jews didn't like this. And Paul says, he's brought us together in peace. Strive for peace. That he might reconcile them both in one body through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. For through him, that is through Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see the point that Paul is making here? The only future for anybody on the face of this earth, in terms of relationship to God, is through Jesus Christ. It's not about being a descendant of Abraham. It's about being a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And all who believe are spiritual descendants of Abraham and heirs of the promise. So then, you Gentile Ephesians are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole building, the one building, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together in a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now again, put yourself in the the shoes of these Ephesian Gentile Christians. Where the Judaizers were going near everywhere throughout the Roman Empire. And they were causing trouble. Do you remember, Paul had to deal with this everywhere he went. If you read through the book of Romans, which is written to the heart of pagan Gentilism, he spends a great deal of time discussing the place of the Jews and the law. The assumption is because there was a great influence of these Judaizers even as far away as Rome. Everywhere he went... Paul had to deal with this because he would start a church and he would preach the gospel and he would try to build this church on new covenant principles and he would go away. And some of these Jews would come in and say, you know, you guys are really just adjuncts here. You're second class citizens. You're not really the people of God unless you are circumcised and submit yourself to the law. Acts 15 is a text that we will probably look at in the future, where certain men came down from Jerusalem, and they show up and they say, if you guys, if you Gentiles are going to please God, if you're really going to be saved, you have to be circumcised. You have to put yourself under the Old Covenant. And this disturbed them greatly. So Paul and some of his comrades go down there, and they talk about it, so then they go back to Jerusalem, and they hold the first council. They call together the giants of the church, Peter, James, and the apostles, and they say, let's talk about this. Are we going to require these Gentiles to be circumcised and to keep the law? What's their conclusion? No. Resounding no. In fact, the statements of Peter are so important. He says, brothers, why would we want to place a yoke on the necks of these people that we haven't been able to bear, nor could our forefathers. So they said, no, we will not require, God does not require the Jews or the Gentiles, for that matter, from this point forward to be circumcised and to keep the law. But these Judaizers kept infiltrating every church and saying, we are the chosen people of God. God made the promises to Abraham. God made the promises to Israel. If you want to be included, you have to keep the law. And everywhere Paul writes, he says, well, sometimes in a very unacceptable way in our day, such as to the Galatians, if those people want to keep circumcising, I wish they'd mutilate themselves, cut it all the way, is what he's saying. He has no patience with the Judaizers. He says, if anybody comes here teaching any gospel, other than what I'm saying, let them be anathema. He's talking about the Judaizers. If anybody's going to come and require you to submit to the law, require you to be circumcised, let them be damned. So imagine these Judaizers coming into the Ephesian church. And saying to them you know we are the real people of God we're the Jews we're the children of Abraham and the estrangement they must have felt and they probably were wrestling with the questions do we have to be circumcised are they right do we have to submit to the Old Covenant and Paul writes this very encouraging word that barrier has been destroyed you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, with the Jews, with the believing Jews. You are with them. You are all of God's household being built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He goes on to explain this further. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, he's saying, if you understand my calling to the Gentiles, my mission as an apostle is to preach to Gentiles. That was Paul's calling. That was his primary target audience. Peter and the other apostles focused on the Jews, trying to convert them to the Messiah. Paul went out and tried to convert Gentiles. And by referring to this, when you read... You can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. A mystery is something that is hidden. It's there, but it's got a cover over it. For the Old Testament prophets, they could look at this and they could sort of see the basic penumbra, the basic, the basic outline or shape, but they really didn't know it was under there because it was covered up. Paul says, I've been given the task to take the cover off, to show you what's there. What is the mystery of Messiah? Messiah. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit or by the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Folks, put your thinking caps on here. Fellow heirs with whom? The Jews. The promise was given to the Jews. All of the promises were given to the descendants of Abraham. This is what was hidden. I'm taking the the cover off. Here's what the Old Testament meant. Gentiles were going to be fellow heirs with believing Jews. There is no distinction in the inheritance. If we're fellow heirs, we're inheriting the same thing. My brother and I are fellow heirs of the humble estate of my parents. (laughs) He doesn't get one inheritance and I get another. I hope that's not the case. (laughs) I haven't read their will. We are fellow heirs. Our inheritance is joined. It's the same. God has not begun something new in the church that is somehow distinct or separate from what he did for the Jews, where they're looking for a different inheritance. There's one new man, and we're inheriting the same thing. Whatever the real hope of Israel is, it's now our hope as well. And whatever is our hope, it's the hope of believing Jews. We're fellow heirs, we're fellow members of the body, the one body, and fellow partakers of the promise. Again, he's just saying the same thing in a different way. There's not one promise for Israel and another promise for the church. There's one promise. We're all partakers. Because it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. What matters is being in Christ. He's broken down the wall to make us one new man. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. That term Christ, we are so familiar with it, we use it like a name for Jesus. Some people think Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. Anointed one. It is the Greek word which translates the Hebrew word Messiah. Anointed one. To whom was the promise of the Messiah made? To the Jews. The Gentiles were excluded from the promise of Messiah. As we read the Old Testament, we don't see that the Messiah was coming to redeem the Gentiles. But Paul says, I've been given this task to preach that the Gentiles are included in the promise of the coming Messiah, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, God's holy Anointed One. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church the called out ones, the assembly, that's us. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Messiah, Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We've only had one goal today, one point. There is no distinction any longer between Jew and Gentile. We are sharers of the same hope, the same Redeemer, the same Messiah, the same future. Whatever the end times look like, it's going to be the same for Jews and Gentiles. Because the end times are not Israel-centric. And our hope and their hope, Jewish hope, is not centered on Judaism. All of us share the same hope of the glory of all the promises given to the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints.